When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Friday Roundtable edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast featuring the whole crew as always. It's Mary Kay Cabot, Doug Maurice, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, uh, and of course I'm in it as well. Today we're talking coaches. We're going to draft coaches. All 32 NFL head coaches are on the board. We're going to pick 20 of them. And of course, this exercise is to figure out where we would rank Kevin Stefanski among NFL head coaches. And after we were done, I tweeted out our lists to our Football Insider subscribers so that they could vote on who had the best roster of coaches. If you want to get involved... After we were done, I texted out our list of coach rosters to our Football Insider subscribers so they could vote on who had the best group of coaches. If you want to get involved in Football Insider and our texting service, you just got to go to cleveland.com slash browns. It's that blue banner at the top of the page. You get exclusive access to stories on cleveland.com slash browns, a newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day, and of course the texting. Cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get information and get signed up. Okay, here we go with our Friday roundtable. And here we go. We are drafting coaches here on our Friday roundtable. We're going to get right to it. Our draft order as determined by lottery before we came on the show here. It was really exciting. We should have put it on the pod. But I'll pick number one. Doug will pick number two. Ellis third. Scott fourth. Mary Kay fifth. Number one overall. I'm just really, I want to know what you guys think. If there's any sort of debate over this or not. I guess our standard is, Doug, you sort of explained this best. It's who you would hire right now, correct? Yeah, if you had a team, I was thinking like you're not like a good team and you're yeah. trying to win now, but it's maybe not just for one year, but you're playing football right. It's who you'd hire if you had all the guys. All right, well, I'm going to take the obvious one here. I'm, I'm just going to take Bill, Bill Belichick. I still think, you know, even with the seven and nine season last year, I still think he's the standard as a head coach. I think we have to separate a little bit Belichick, the personnel guy, Belichick, the coach. I think he's still a really good coach. The personnel side of it has not been as good. And that's why they had to pay all that money this off season uh, to kind of make up for some mistakes in the draft that he has made over the last few years. But I still think Bill is the guy, if I'm trying to win, if I've got a good team, uh, 68 years old, I'm still going to take Bill in this spot at number one. So I guess the question is here, is there any debate about that? I completely agree with you. I completely agree as well. Yep. I had Bill at number one. Analytics does not agree with Dan. Uh, and, and that's why I'm, that's how I'm making my picks by this. I have a, I'll explain more of it when it gets to me, but um, I did not have Belichick at the top of my list. Uh, he'd definitely be in the top three or four on this list, but he is not number one. We stole this idea and we did this on Buckeye talk this week for our Wednesday pod with current college football coaches. And Bill Belichick and Nick Saban are very similar in so many ways. And on our podcast, we did a draft and Nick Saban did not go number one. Dabo Sweeney from Clemson went number one. And I I would have picked Saban number one, but I asked Stephen Means picked Dabo Sweeney number one. And I got, and Nathan Baird agreed with Stephen. 
And I got them to admit that they both think that Nick Saban is probably the greatest college football coach of all time, him or Bear Bryant, yet they wouldn't pick him number one in this draft. And I couldn't quite get my head around that. So I was curious if people, it's like, all right, well, Bill Belichick is the greatest NFL coach of all time, right? Or Vince Lombardi, whatever. But, but like, what would lead you away? The idea of like, he's the greatest coach of all time, but I wouldn't pick him. It's hard for me to wrap my head around. So I'm glad that us, that we are in agreement with it other than PFF robot, Scott Patsko. <laughs> now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Back up here for a minute. So you stole our coach draft and did it before we did? Oh, I'm merciless. <laughs> Once an idea is out in the world, I will absolutely steal it and take it for my own. That's a podcast fine if I ever saw one. Mm-hmm. Fine. We went five a week, man. We're so desperate for ideas. I'm going to keep stealing everything from Orange and Brown Talk. We might have to just dock your your pick here at number two, but we won't. Scott, just jump in. When we get to your number one guy, if, if it goes before you come up at number four, jump in. I want to know who you want to have, who you have at number one, but I don't. I want to hear the name get picked first. Okay. Go, go ahead, number two. So now I'm going to go away from everything I just said about Bill Belichick, and I don't think I'm picking the obvious guy here. I'm not sure there is one obvious person, but I am not going only by Super Bowls. I'm not going by necessarily my list of the greatest coaches ever. This is the guy that I would want now because he has been incredibly successful. And one thing that I found difficult that I tried to think about is how much are there coaches? Cause there are several of them whose great success is really tied to one quarterback. And that mattered to me. So I picked a guy who I feel like his success is not tied to only one quarterback. In fact, he has made a 180 transition and he has kept winning. I think he's a great overall franchise coach. I think he relates to players. I think he's smart. He's the face of the franchise that I would want. And he's in the AFC North and I'm taking John Harbaugh at number two. I'm really excited that John Harbaugh went this high because I have the way my board is set up, I have it in tiers more than just like a big board. Like I have my list of top guys, young stars, up and comers. And I put John Harbaugh in that list of top guys. And I was, I wasn't sure if I was going to have agreement on that. So I, I probably wouldn't have taken Harbaugh here, but I definitely had him in that list of like top tier head coaches in part for the reasons you gave Doug. And it's that, this guy has just constantly evolved and morphed, you know, wins a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco and then keeps that team competitive with Flacco as he starts to fade. And then Lamar Jackson comes in and completely changes the team has embraced analytics. I, I absolutely love John Harbaugh. So I'm excited that he went here. I'm Actually, not excited that he went here <laughs> because I had him at number five and I was planning on taking him in the first round of this draft. I love John Harbaugh. And for all those reasons that you laid out, Doug, he's absolutely amazing. I think one of the biggest things and the best things that things that they have done recently is to take Lamar Jackson and turn him into an MVP NFL quarterback. When most people thought that maybe he wasn't even an NFL quarterback at all when he was coming out in the draft and they just surrounded him with talent. They did what he does best. And you're right. He adapted to that. And I love everything about John Harbaugh. I hate him first. He was the top ranked. A coach on my list and yeah I think it's I think it's an excellent choice yeah I, I really dig this pick as well <clears throat> I had him fourth on my list 
when you think about John Harbaugh, a lot of the stuff we pointed out already, that transition from Joe Flacco to Lamar Jackson, to me signals a, a coach that is extremely confident in his own skin, not tied to one system. He empowers his coordinators, think Greg Roman, Wink Martindale, to create what they deem is the best fit for their talent. They don't have one specific scheme. They look at their roster and they dissect that appropriately. And I think a lot of that comes from John Harbaugh's background as a special teams coordinator. As a special teams coordinator, you need to know all 53, you know, 75, 93 players on your roster, whatever number you want to have it at between camp and game day. You need to know those players inside and out because you're not really building these rosters for what the special teams coordinator wants. The special teams coordinator gets the players that aren't deemed enough to be part of that 11 on offense or defense. So the master understanding of a roster allows Harbaugh to then delegate his team accordingly. He empowers his coordinators and is just a master overseer. I broke my stuff into tiers as well, similar to what I think you were saying, Dan, and Harbaugh is under my category of world-class builders and difference makers. And he lands at the, the number three or four spot there. I'm, I'm splitting hairs there, and I'm sure I'll get an opportunity to talk more about who I have above him very soon here. Well, Ellis, you are up. So why don't you go ahead? Yep. This has already been fun. Doug, you, you said this before we got in the air. Like, how are we going to – the consensus here, how is this going to fall? And we're already a, a bit – I don't want to say all over the place, but I'm seeing that our lists already are matching up, which is what makes this conversation so fun. I'm taking Andy Reid. Three Super Bowl appearances over with two different teams over the course of 20 years. His 2004 Eagles appearance with Don McNabb, of course, and then two back-to-back with Patrick Mahomes. Another guy like Harbaugh, though, Andy is, of course, much more almost all in offensively, a play designer, a schemer, a, a chalkboard, a whiteboard, and now probably smart tablet type of guy drawing up these plays. But when it comes to Andy and it's going to be a theme amongst these top coaches in this tier. And for a few of these young guys, we'll get to it's their adaptability. Andy doesn't see a situation and say, no, you need to fit what I do. He takes what you do best and puts it on the field. He doesn't get too tied up in the front office. He trusts his guys, his GMs, his scout and talent evaluators to get him talent. And then he'll make the most out of them on the field. Uh, think about his relationship with John Dorsey. And we've written enough about the, hand-on approach Dorsey had in getting a, a, a fair amount of that Super Bowl talent to Kansas City. So for a body of work and then also being able to do it with from McNabb to Michael Vick to Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes and finally getting that Super Bowl respect that he deserves, Andy Reid to me, I would have taken him second and I'm happy to get him here at three. I, I had him ranked pretty highly. You know, I, I might have taken him two even. The, you know, this, this to me, when I thought about Andy Reid, it speaks a little bit to what you were saying, Doug, about not being tied to one quarterback. And this is a guy that obviously right now he's successful with maybe the best quarterback in football, but he's also been successful with Alex Smith. He's been successful with Donovan McNabb. This guy has just won wherever he's gone. I do wonder how differently do we talk about Andy Reid, though, if the chiefs don't come back in that super bowl or if Jimmy Garoppolo completes that pass, I always think it's interesting. Those little tiny moments in the NFL, right. Where you get caught up in the outcome of a game. Like if Jimmy Garoppolo completes that pass in, in the super bowl to, was it Emmanuel Sanders and the 49ers win and Andy still doesn't have one. I wonder how differently we talk about him. 
I don't think it would be fair, but I do wonder how, how that changes the narrative on him. I had Andy at number two. I love Andy Reid. I'm a huge, huge Andy Reid fan for so many different reasons, uh, including face of franchise, the way he deals with players, the way he assembles a staff, uh, the way he lets his his guys. I mean, Eric Bieniemy actually calls a lot of plays. He, he lets Eric Bieniemy do a lot. I, I just I love everything about Andy Reid. I had him super high, so this is a great spot for him. I do think maybe the the best thing on his resume is making the playoffs in Kansas City four out of five years with Alex Smith. That 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 is the proof of again, like I mean, you know, a lot of guys would win with Patrick Mahomes, right? And and Donovan McNabb was a pretty darn good quarterback. But to that point, he won without a you know world beating quarterback. I have him sixth because when I think about hiring, there's he's not that old. He's only five years older. Than John Harbaugh. He's 63. I ding him a little bit for what has happened with his son. The son who was the assistant coach who had the accident. I, we don't know all the details of what happened there, right? His son is on this is in, employed by the team and something terrible happened after he left the facility. And that ding item six that doesn't knock him off my board. He's at the last guy in my top tier. But when I'm thinking about I could have anybody, I'd rather have John Harbaugh. I, there's that, and there's just a couple other guys that I would rather have because, Dan, I think to your point, he did get over the top with maybe the most talented quarterback of all time. And if he didn't get over the top, we would see him differently. We would be like, oh, he's the guy who comes close but can't do it, right? Whereas once you're over the top, then all the close calls are now to your credit instead of a detriment. But he got over the top because Patrick Mahomes, man. So he's great. But I just I'd take five guys out of him. Real, real quick, six NFC East first place finishes, five AFC West division titles, eleven division titles in his twenty year career. It's that consistency. It's that giving your team as many chances at the championship as possible. You got to make the tournament. That's the first step, and they're there year after year with Andy Reid. Just curious to know what what you guys thought of the the son thing, because that's an interesting point to make. I mean, there are a number of these guys uh, that have their sons on their staff. Bill Belichick uh, has one of his sons on his staff. And, you know, I'm just wondering, would we feel the same way if Stephen had gone out and done something before one of these Super Bowls? So I personally, uh, I don't take anything away from Andy Reid for what happened with his son. And it's just, but it's an interesting point. It's, it's an interesting point to make, Doug. And I'm just curious, what, what does anybody else think about that? I believe there was a history there already, correct? Mm-hmm. With his son before he, before he brought him on to staff. You know, I think that factors into it as well. But I do think we have to take into account how these guys put together staffs. And I think for some of these guys, that's something that matters. I, I think for some guys, it matters more than others, right? If we're talking about a John Harbaugh, who's not like the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator, his staff matters, I I think. So, yeah, you know, personally, I don't know that I would count that against him. I certainly didn't when I put him on the list because I said I would have taken him second, but Mm -hmm. there's an argument to be made, especially because there is, there was something in his son's past as well that that could have indicated. You can't predict something like what happened, but again, it it was there and you've got to think about it when you hire people. Nepotism and football coaching is rampant, and I hate it. I hate one. every part it, of it. Doug. <laughs> right, Ellis? Do you hate it? I, that's exactly what I was going to say. I said it was. Gonna, I was going to say it would be more uh, beneficial exercise to find an NFL head coach that doesn't have their son on the mm-hmm. roster. 
nepotism runs the league. I think it's its number one issue. It's systemic. I could rant uh, ad nauseum about it. And this is just another example. It's it, it takes place in Minnesota. Yeah, I could go on for a minute about it. I I understand holding that against Andy, but I also think it is perhaps the mature thing. The more mature thing to do is to separate the two as this is a grown man who made his own decisions and at the end of the day it cost them a super bowl title was probably more influential than the tackle situation going on in the field and affecting families off the field i mean it is a tragic situation and one that will cost andy's son his coaching career most likely i'm not digging andy reed for having a son i'm digging him for employing his son his son went to jail. He's not qualified. He's not qualified to be an NFL. He didn't play college football. He's not qualified to be on an NFL staff. His whole career is working for his dad. It's rampant nepotism. It's embarrassing. It is an old boy's network. But it is everywhere. But show me all the places where the son has multiple legal issues and and then does this. So, okay. I mean, if your son is behaves then okay then he's just unqualified but this guy's unqualified and as it turned out he was dangerous and andy reed employed him in kansas city the whole time and daddy gave me a job listen i mean you're the boss you're in charge of the whole organization so i don't like daddy gave me a job and i especially don't like daddy gave me a job when you're unqualified and you should not be part of this team so again i didn't knock him off my list but if I'm hiring, I want to ask Andy Reid, what is happening with that situation? And I don't think I would like the answer. And the other guys, I don't think I have that issue. He's been operating unchecked there. So I completely agree, Doug. One more thing on that real quick, though. How do you, how do you know that he is unqualified to be a football coach? How do you know that he is or isn't? I mean, do you know enough about his institutional football knowledge to know that he's not qualified to coach football? Do you want to, can we run through the coaching staffs in the NFL and find how many of them didn't even play college football? And I can go through his resume, by the way, Dan lobby went to Kevin Stefanski's high school in Philadelphia. Next time you swing by St. Joseph prep, you can swing by and ask about why Andy Reed's kid has a job. He started off. He worked at St. Joseph's prep. Then he was an intern with the Eagles and he was a grad assistant at temple in Philly. And then he's worked for the chiefs since 2013 Nobody else would hire him. He didn't even play college football. Like, what am I, what, like, how do I know he's not qualified? Because he's clearly not qualified. And nobody other than dad has ever given him a job. And again, that's not unusual. Being so out of control when you leave the building that you severely injure a child, that's unusual. And your daddy who gave you the job is on the hook for it. All right, let's keep moving here. We don't want to spend two hours on Britt Reed. All right, so I had Harbaugh, Reed, and Belichick as my top three. And what I did is I kind of mashed up uh, rankings done by Edge Sports, which some people on the pod here might be familiar with it. They provide info for football insiders. They basically, they actually do coach rankings. They assign a coach of the year, and they uh, basically use win probability to measure your coaching decisions. And they rank based on that. They also factor in like critical calls, like fourth down and when you decided to punt and how that factored into win probability, all that kind of stuff. So I was kind of using that uh, as a guide and Harbaugh, Reed and Belichick rank high on these. And really I looked at those three as like apart from everybody else. 
and listening to everybody else make their picks, people are talking about all these different things these guys have done over their career, right? How Reed is one with different people and how Belichick has done all these different things. And, and Harbaugh, you know, there's, there's experience and, and a career there. So like, where does, where does Kevin Stefanski fit into that? He's only done this for one year. And if we're just talking about having some sort of longevity, then again, where does Kevin Stefanski fit in that? Cause he's has less experience than the overwhelming majority of the people we're going to be ranking. So I'm going to take a step Kevin Stefanski fourth. I, where, where do you find the weakness based on last season? I mean, from a, a coaching standpoint, I think he ranked fifth in, in, in critical calls on this uh, edge sports ranking. He clearly had a handle on his message coming out of Berea. I mean, try to get an answer out of him, just like Andrew Barry. He was on top of that. You didn't have any slip-ups like you had with some of the previous coaches. Where was the drama? I know some of that might have been from the fact that we didn't get to go in the locker room and talk to people one-on-one. But again, where was the big drama last season? It wasn't there. All these things led to, you know, one of the best seasons in 25 years. So, I don't know. I'm putting Kevin Stavansky fourth. I see him as just as good a choice as anybody left on the list. So Scott makes a really great point here and one that I wrestled with. I, I would not have taken Kevin Stefanski this high. There are, there are a couple other guys who don't have long resumes but have slightly longer resumes I would have taken ahead of him. But as I was going through this, I was thinking to myself, how do you kind of balance resume versus judging upside, right? The guys we've taken so far all have long resumes. Kevin Stefanski, like Scott said, does not. There's some other guys that, that do not have those long resumes. And I, I think it's interesting. I think this is a little too high. Then that's not to be insulting to Kevin Stefanski. All we've done on this podcast all year is just rave and praise Kevin Stefanski. And he did an amazing job this year. I wouldn't have taken him here, but I do think it's a relevant point that you can't just take guys based on resume. We've got to judge if we think Kevin Stefanski five years from now is in that, that tier that I have at the top of my list, then maybe this is the right pick. Yeah, it's too high. It's too high. I mean, like, uh, you know, no offense, but like, there's a couple like Super Bowl winning coaches who are still like at the top of their game that I think if you, again, were hiring, you know, they're going to be great tomorrow. I, I, and you, you guess Kevin Stefanski is going to be great tomorrow. The thing that I would say is if you've done it longer, you've dealt with more garbage and stuff that you've come across your desk that you've had to figure out. And just in year one, I mean, he had the pandemic, he had the Odell injury. I get it. But it's like, you know, fighting with your quarterback and contract stuff with players and guys are mad. And this guy hates this guy and you lose coordinators and you have to replace them. There's just a lot of stuff that goes into being a head coach. And I'm not saying we have to put all the old guys ahead of all the young guys, but we just don't know that about Kevin Stefanski. I think he'll be good, but I feel like there's at least a couple guys who have done that and are still doing it that I would put ahead of Stefanski. But I do think there's an interesting question. I had Stefanski seventh, which I thought was pretty high, but I had him second among what I would call like the young coaches in the league that if you almost did like best veteran coach, best young coach, this is Scott also sticking the claim at, okay, well, if you want to make a resume argument, but best young coach in the NFL, I, I don't, I'm curious if everybody like agrees with that, because there's one guy that I have ahead of Stefanski in that way. Well, can we define like all our tiers are different, right? 
So when you say young coach, I, so like my tiers are, of course, I have kind of the, the top guys and then I have like young, like young stars, right? The guys that have sort of established themselves and are still really young. So that's why I have like McVeigh and Shanahan, Shanahan. And then I have up and comers. And that's where I've got the likes of Stefanski, McDermott, Flores, Matt LaFleur. So I, I think our tiers are all a little different, but I had Stefanski sort of in the same sentence as Flores, McDermott, and then I have Stefanski there. And I think you could squish those tiers together because there's the old veteran, Probably. like guys who've done it for 15 years. And then there's like that tier. Those are all the guys I'm talking about. But like to say Stefanski now means you're saying Stefanski ahead of McVeigh and Shanahan and McDermott. And that is saying a lot. And, and I can't make the case that I would take Stefanski ahead of Sean McVeigh or take him ahead of Kyle Shanahan. You know, I, th- I think Matt LaFleur, he's got that NFC championship decision hanging over his head that we'll probably discuss at some point. But I think he's got a good case, too, to kind of be in that group. And, you know, you've got to make the case as to why you take Stefanski over him. He was actually, LaFleur was actually ranked first for the past season. This is just the regular season. Uh, on the edge sports rankings he was first so I, I wouldn't have kept him there I mean at, at, if you're factoring in the postseason I think he gets stocked a little bit but he was first on their list last season he was their coach so, of the year so Ellis and Mary Kay what do you think of this I think it's too high for me it's too high I had uh, Kevin Stefanski down in the next tier somewhere around 10 or 11 depending on how things fell and one of the reasons is because first of all you know I need to see more like Give me another couple of seasons before I can say, you know, you're up there at at number four. There's a hell of a lot of really amazing football coaches in the NFL. Well, then again, we're just ranking people by experience. No, no, no. I I don't think you can say that, that like and just be dismissive of like, I mean, there's a guy that I have ahead of Stefanski that if he had only coached one year, I also would have him ahead of Stefanski. So you know what I mean? Like, it's not just because he's old. It's because he's really good and old. So here's the other thing uh, that I think Kevin Stefanski obviously did a phenomenal job this year, but I've said this before. uh, And I think this is important. How many first year head coaches get to take over a roster that is absolutely 100 times expected to make the playoffs full of pro bowlers, full of first round picks, an offensive line that anybody would die to have miles Garrett Denzel Ward. So he had a lot to work with and he did a great job with it under trying circumstances. I just would need to see a little bit more, uh, you know, maybe a year where you have some adversity where, you know, maybe things don't go exactly the way that you want, or you have to build a team or you have to, to try to win with less than stellar talent all over the place. So I think that's one of the reasons why I am more in wait and see mode with him. I think head coach is a job much like pilot and surgeon where experience really should be weighted heavily. The more you do this year after year, eventually you're just going to see everything. There's not going to be anything that you haven't prepared for or known the likely outcome once faced because of that, I have four coaches and specifically two in my world-class builders and difference maker class. And then the new school, which is really what was Dan was describing, you know, with the McVeigh's and McDermott's of the world, that mixture of young, but still a lot to prove. Like 
you know, Sean McDermott's 47 years old. Sean McVay's 35 years old. Big gap in age there, but for the most part, where they're in their coaching careers, you consider that a, a new school type of roster building and think in the NFL. That's where Kevin Stefanski lies. To Mary Kay's point with Stefanski, there are still things that I need to see. And I think all of us on this podcast have been really – look, if we talked about Andy Reid's son – read for 15 minutes where I could do this with Kevin Stefanski for 45 or an hour but with Kevin the first thing is the adversity thing right and I understand COVID and all the wide receivers missed the Jets game but I'm talking just like losing games just bad breaks stuff happens in an NFL game there's so much chance involved in this sport even though we don't want to admit it because that makes our jobs sound less important and that really makes NFL coaching jobs feel less important but flags and balls bouncing field goals there's a lot of luck in this game what happens when you start losing games and your mantras of, you know, do your job and put in the work don't, don't resonate because the results aren't there. You're putting in the work, but the results aren't showing up. What happens to a locker room then? I'm not saying he can't handle it, but I haven't seen him lead when, you know, after a three or four game losing streak. And maybe that's a knock because he'll never experience one. I understand, but we haven't been there yet. The second part is had the young head coaches that bury themselves misevaluate the quarterback room and I'm not saying Kevin's done that yet either but that is where you cannot go wrong because you're so tethered to that guy unless you get like Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan and aren't afraid to shake things up because now we're talking about a guy like Matt Nagy who won the NFL coach of the year just what two or three years ago with the Chicago Bears they misevaluate quarterback they make some other mistakes and now it looks like he's what uh, once an offensive brilliant mind now on his way out. The third thing, and it again goes back to Mary Kay's point about inheriting a team that had so few holes is hitting your draft picks. What happens when Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry aren't on this team? Can he draft wide receivers? Can Has he put the people around him that will get him the right talent? Are Harrison Bryant, Jacob Phillips, and Jordan Elliott going to be more than role players on this team? Are they going to develop into more? Are these guys going to be like, uh, I don't, I haven't really seen that jump. There's still a lot to be seen, but from the point of team preparation, getting your ducks in a row, being a professional, being cerebral and setting a franchise up in the right direction, Kevin gets an A plus for all that, but there's two young guns I'd put in front of him and two world-class team builders and difference makers I'd put in front of him also. I do think Kevin also deserves credit though for, doing what he did within the organization he did it right? yeah like we have to we have to judge that as well you know because Mary Kay you mentioned he got this great benefit of taking over a roster that was ready to win and not a lot of not a lot of coaches get to do that with their first head coaching job at the same time you know Freddie Kitchens took over a pretty good roster and went six and ten and it was a disaster and we know that the Browns as an organization are generally prone to ending in disaster and Kevin Stefanski was able to come in along with Andrew Barry. He deserves credit for this as well. And Paul DePodesta too, of stabilizing things and making sure it didn't turn into a disaster. And maybe, you know, in some ways, obviously dealing with the pandemic was a ton of adversity and, you know, not knowing if you were going to be able to get into the facility on the day or have the whole team practice together was a lot of adversity. Maybe they benefited from some things as well, though, kind of keeping everything virtual you know, you're not sitting in that, in, 
in these press conferences getting peppered by a million different voices coming from a million different directions. Everything's very organized right in front of you. You, you know, you're keeping your players virtual. I don't know. There might've been some benefits from that as well, but I do think we'd need to take into account with Stefanski, the organization that he came into and the history of that organization, especially under this ownership that, I mean, it had been complete chaos until last year and it wasn't chaotic last year. So I, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for that. We have to frame it a little bit like that too, I think. Sorry, that was good that Dan said that because we've been kissing Kevin Stefanski's butt all year for what a great job he did. And then Scott picked him so high that we had to go negative for like 10 minutes. We we're like, oh, I don't think he is the fourth best coach in the, in the league. So thank you, Dan, for bringing us back to the positive spin. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely. I think, you know, saying that we wouldn't take him this high isn't saying that we don't like Kevin Stefanski. Go back and pick any podcast that we've done and you're going to hear just raves about Kevin Stefanski. But I, I think that's what makes these draft funds, these drafts fun because it gives an opportunity. Scott throws this wild card in there of taking Stefanski at four and five years from now, it may be the best take ever on this podcast. Who knows? There is adversity ahead. He will have to deal with the very common adversity of a former coach of your team writing a book. And, and how Kevin Stefanski deals with that is something that he will have to face in the year to come. I will. We could wrap it up this way. The, the worst fourth down call Kevin Stefanski made, according to Edge Sports, was when he punted on fourth and four to the Colts. This was in the fourth quarter. The Browns were winning. They were at the own. They were at the, the, the Colts 46 and they punt. They basically saying they should have gone for it. The very next play, though, Miles Garrett gets the forces the safety. So it all worked out. Even at his worst, he's out there. Leading the team to points. I rest even, even on his couch at a wild card game, he's leading his <laughs> team out there to points. Right. <laughs> all right. Let's wrap up the first round. Mary Kay, go ahead. Well, first of all, Scott, you're also getting podcast fined for holding out on us that there were analytics edge coaching rankings. Maybe you guys knew this, but I didn't. Scott Come is on, our. Check your email. Uh, <laughs> Our analytics expert. I no, I did not realize that there was secret. I did not know that there was such a thing that I could have relied on here. How, but <laughs> what I did was I went with the eyeball test and the ear test where I hear what they say, where I watch what they do. So I kind of just had to rely on, on the experience of covering a lot of these guys. And there's one that I've covered for a long time, a long, long, long time. He's got something in this league that most coaches do not have and that is longevity uh not only that he has a super bowl to his credit he is a perennial contender regardless of ups and downs and a lot of controversy and and some madness and craziness he continues to win he had a really great record this year even though things were really really crazy i like the way he talks to his players i like the way he talks to the media and i just like a lot of things about him and I think any organization would be proud to have him. I certainly would be if I owned a team. And that is, who wants to guess? I know it. It's got to, I know who it is. We all know. Mike, Mike Tomlin. I almost picked him too. I was razor's edge between Harbaugh and Tomlin. And they're so similar in so many ways. Harbaugh has been around for 13 years and made the playoffs nine times. Uh, Tomlin has been around for 14 years and made the playoffs playoffs nine times and I gave the edge to Harbaugh because he's gone through a second quarterback 
and Tomlin hasn't done that yet. And how much of it is kind of tied to Big Ben. But again, right. when I reference Scott, he went 10 and six in year one and he won the Super Bowl in year two. So like, right. I think the idea that like, oh, you're just picking old guys of all the ones like, I think it's, you know, I'm not trying to pick on Scott. Like Tomlin is the guy that's like, I think it's indefensible to pick Kevin Stefanski ahead of Mike Tomlin. There's a lot of other guys where you go going old, young. It's like Mike Tomlin did it off the bat. He's done it long term. He is smart. He is classy. He is fiery. He is tough. He is the consummate coach. I don't know what I would change about him. And to me, this is a great pick. And he's reached the status of not speaking at the combine. So that, that alone, gets me. <laughs> I, I won't, I won't get into where I have Tomlin ranked. I haven't ranked with a few other coaches. And so I'll, uh, I'll wait till those guys come up. Kevin Stefanski is two and one against Mike Tomlin. And the last time he beat him, he didn't have to show up. Amazing. <laughs> That's a mic drop by Scott Patsko right there. Right. Until Ellis picks it up before it, right before it hits the ground and has a shameless Minnesota plug here. Bear with me here. 90 seconds. Long time. Minneapolis Star Tribune writer, <clears throat> Mark Craig, Mary Kay, perhaps you know him, said something really interesting right around the wild card game. It was either right after the, the g- game or prior to it, comparing Kevin Stefanski to Mike Tomlin. Now those ties are this. Mike Tomlin came from Minnesota, was a defensive back coach, really was only interviewed by the Steelers because of the Rooney rule, came in, killed the interview, and the rest is history going from position coach to that spot. Kevin Stefanski being with the Vikings his entire time, of course, had more experience than Tomlin, but really was a guy, an underwhelming hire. That was the point Mark Craig was trying to make. Like when the, when it was announced that Tomlin got the job, whether it's beat writer response or fan response, it's like, who is this guy underwhelming? If you look back and see what fans thought of the Kevin Stefanski hire, you find a lot of, oh, what are we doing? It should have been Mike McCarthy. Who is this guy? you hear a lot of, of unproven rhetoric coming from a fan base. And I understand that, but all Mike Tomlin's done has been a steady compass North of professionalism and results. And the point this writer was making was that Kevin Stefanski has an opportunity to be that exact same thing. And it's probably just coincidence. They both end up in the AFC North and will play each other twice a year. But if the Browns have landed the next Mike Tomlin just on the offensive side of the ball. What a success this will be. And really it would merit Scott's fourth overall drafting and the point of projecting Stefanski forward. So I thought it was interesting to compare those two, their starts in Minnesota, they're under the radar hiring and really finding people that are 110% professionals, more than ready to be leader of men. And more importantly, just completely have a, grasp on an organization beyond just the X's and O's. And that's how I see Stefanski and Tomlin really relating. And of course, they'll be tied to each other for a long time here being in the AFC North together. Do you have it in front of you where Tomlin is, though, as far as an in-game decision maker? Uh, last season, he was, uh, well, he was eighth overall in the rankings. And in, like critical calls, he was 17th. Okay. I mean, um, that, that's my only kind of ding against against Tomlin, but the year before he was way down at 27th and he was 28th and making critical calls. So, I mean, who he had on the field might've had something to do with the execution, but that's where he was ranked. What Doug said at the start of this pod, I think applies to Tomlin is it becomes difficult to pull the coach's success away from the quarterback 
Hall of Fame resume. Like looking back at the Steelers DVOA ratings, they were they had the 30th best defense in I think 2014, 2015, somewhere in there. They and they've had and I'll the reason I'm bringing up DVOA is because a guy who's going to go pretty soon here blew my mind in his ratings compared to Tomlin, who is a defensive specialist. Pittsburgh has had some bad defenses. It's only one or two years while Big Ben, Livian Bell, and Antonio Brown are carrying them. Now, Tomlin should probably get the Nobel Peace Prize for having Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell in his locker room and keeping that under wraps and letting it flourish how it did for so long. But that is where I can't separate what is Tomlin's success and what is Roethlisberger's in the course that Tomlin's defenses have been bad and the offense supported them. And after Roethlisberger's tenure's done in Pittsburgh, we're going to learn a lot about Tomlin and how he shapes an offense and who he selects as his next quarterback. It really will be the next act in his career, carrying him through the rest of his time in Pittsburgh, I'm sure. Okay. So our top five, Bill Belichick, number one, Harbaugh, two, Andy Reid, three, Kevin Stefanski, four, Mike Tomlin, five. We're going four rounds here. So we're going to pick up the pace a little bit. I'll start us off round two, pick one, man, there are some guys on this board, some veterans on this board that have not gone yet, who are really good, have those resumes that we talked about, but I'm going to go young here and I'm just, I'm going to take this guy right now. I'm going to take Sean McVay. I still think he's probably the best young coach in the NFL. I still think he gets that mantle. He's only 35 years old. It feels like he's been coaching for 10 years already as a head coach in the league has taken a team to a Super Bowl, has done it with Jared Goff at quarterback, a guy that he clearly stopped believing in, you know, recently. I don't know, maybe he didn't believe him all that much back then. I don't know. I, I'm going to take Sean McVay here over some veteran guys that I have pretty high up on my list that have not gone yet. I'm a little surprised have not gone yet, but this is where I'm going to take McVay. I had him fourth. I would have picked him if you didn't. He's winning despite his quarterback, not because of it. Like, he made Jared Goff. It wasn't like, oh, Sean McVay, he's so lucky he got the number one pick and it's Jared Goff. You know, like that's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, making a Super Bowl is a big deal. And then like they had like the power move of like, get this guy out of here. We're trading for Stafford. Let's do, we're not going to wait around. Like, I like that too. So this is the guy, again, when you're talking young coaches, this tier, like guys have only been doing it for four or five years. I would, I would have McVay ahead of Stefanski. And I, I think it's a good pick. Okay. So Doug, who do you have here with, with your pick? Veteran guy. Again, tied to a quarterback, but he's made the playoffs in his current stop nine out of 11 years. Overall, he's made the playoffs 11 out of 15 years total in the league. Even though his quarterback has kind of remained constant with where he is, the rest of the team has gone through an evolution and he's led that. And he's won a Super Bowl and he should have won another one. I'm taking Pete Carroll. I like how he does it. They just whack the offensive coordinator. They're going to try to reset that. He's definitely got a style, right? It's kind of a very different from Belichick style. And like, we're going through this, like Russell Wilson doesn't, he hates him and he wants to leave. But now it feels like it's spinning back. I know Brandon Marshall, I think is reporting like, no, they're, they worked it out and it's going to be okay. And like, if I'm assuming that now, if Russell Wilson gets traded tomorrow, I'll probably move Pete Carroll down the list. But if, if they work this out, that he kind of had a disgruntled franchise quarterback and they figured it out and they're good. He's won a ton, man. He really has won a ton there. And so as we get into coaches tied to quarterbacks, I still think he's done a really good job. Legion of Boom's not there, and they're still winning. I'm, I'm comfortable taking Pete Carroll here. Okay, I want to know what everybody thinks of this pick. I had Pete Carroll. I, I mentioned that kind of group of coaches that I had together, veteran guys, maybe a little questionable sometimes in their decision-making, 
Uh, but for whatever reason, their teams always win. Mike Tomlin was in that group. Pete Carroll was in that group. I would not have taken Pete Carroll over the over a number of guys that I had on my board. I like Pete Carroll. I think there's questions about his approach strategy-wise. And, you know, we always – there's that let Russ cook narrative and all that stuff. But the guy does just win, so he gets that credit. I'm curious where everybody kind of had Pete Carroll in their rankings. I had Pete Carroll at number eight, so I had him right here. I had him – uh, just high up in in this second group. So this is right about where I would have put him. And for all the reasons that that Doug laid out there, I mean, he's just got this unbelievable proven track record. I love the way that his mind works. I love the way he coaches players. I love the science of optimism and all the different things that he does. And I like just the way that that he coaches and I like the way he assembles a staff. Just he's consistent and the age doesn't bother me. I'd hire him in a heartbeat. Yeah, he'll be 70 by the time week one kicks off. I agree with everything y'all are saying. I had him ninth. I'm a little freaked out by this whole Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll thing. If you can't make it work with him, I, I don't understand what that really says about you as a, a head coach. But he's never he doesn't have any history of this. It's not like he's butted heads with players in the past. So I, I don't think that's a completely fair thing to pin him on. And Russell Wilson's still on the team. So it's nitpicking. There's one guy I'd take over him who I'll have a chance to take here real soon. His two sons have both been on his staff. Does that, does that bother you, Doug? <laughs> have they been in jail? <laughs> Not that I know of. Okay. Then it doesn't bother me as much. Okay. This, this one's interesting. I mean, I'll be honest. I, there's a, there's a good number of guys I probably would have taken ahead of Pete, even though I really like Pete. There's a good number of guys that I would have, I think I might've skewed a little younger. Um, ahead of Pete but so, th so this is an interesting spot to me all right Ellis who do you have here with your uh third pick in the second round yeah Sean Payton's still on the board right did yes. I miss anything no you did not Wonderful. I thought that's where Doug was going actually yeah I did too uh until he said his most recent stop and I was like wait I might I might get Sean Payton to follow me the fact he's still available here makes no sense I was considering him with my first pick instead of Andy Reid uh Sean Payton all this guy has done is built Again, my tier with the title of world-class builder and difference maker. What was New Orleans prior to Sean Payton and Drew Brees arriving? You know, Hurricane Katrina aside, which obviously had a huge impact on the city and where they were at, but just from a franchise standpoint before Katrina, I mean, a, a bit of a, a laughing stock, a bit of a mess. So when we talk about builders, it's Bill Belichick it's Sean Payton, and to smaller degrees, it's guys like Marvin Lewis, who, Dan, you talk about what was that franchise before said coach got there. A guy like Marvin Lewis has brought stability to Cincinnati but couldn't get them over the hump, right? And now Zach Taylor seems to have destroyed everything Marvin Lewis built in a way. But Sean Payton did go get over that hump. And then it's the conversation, well, what? how do you differentiate what was the quarterback success and what was the head coach success? Sean Payton for the past two seasons has really won in spite of his quarterback. And this year when Drew Brees missed time and even last year when it was Teddy Bridgewater at times, or it's Taysom Hill, regardless, they're still winning games. It really doesn't matter who's playing quarterback for them. And I think that track track record will prove out. Sean Payton is really stacking his quarterback rooms. He understands that he needs a guy and he's giving himself as many chances at that dartboard. I mentioned me looking at DVOA and this is how I separated him and Mike Tomlin. The last time a Sean Payton offense was outside the top 10 was 2011 and they ranked 11th. So he, this all, and, and looking back at that, most of those are top five finishes. So this offense is just ridiculous year in and year out. 
the defense follows foot with that. So this is a guy who understands both sides of the football. He has such an understanding of offense that he knows how to then bring those influences to his defense. And the draft record is really, really remarkable. A short list of Alvin Kamara, Jimmy Graham, all the way to Taysom Hill. Say what you want about him. He's getting production out of this guy. Somehow, some way he finds that type of player and just can get what they, he needs to out of you. Defensively, it's the same type of thing. Cam Jordan, Lattimore, Jenkins, I, the list goes on and on. He is the model of sustainability and a difference maker on the field, making play calls, innovative thinking, the, the onside kick in the Super Bowl literally changed Madden. That became an option in a Madden video game. The guy has had his fingerprints all over this league, and I'm shocked that he's still here. I'd love to hear why he is. I read a stat recently that it was either the last two or last three seasons. They're eight and one without Drew Brees, eight and one or eight and two, something like that. So it's not just a quarterback. Bounty gate. Wasn't that Greg Williams anyway? It's on your watch, bro. I'm dinging you. When I'm interviewing you for my fake team that I can hire anybody in the world, if there are things that I have to ask you about, because you're in charge of my franchise, I've got to ask you about it. I don't think I have a thing like that to ask Mike Tomlin. I don't think I have a thing like that to ask John Harbaugh. So I, and you guys are making good points about Drew Brees. He's only ever had Drew Brees though. Now you're saying Drew Brees has sucked the last couple of years and they won despite him. And I guess that's probably true, but he's only ever had Drew Brees as a starting quarterback. He's never entered a season. So like, I don't know. And this is what I'm talking about. Coaches tied to quarterbacks. Again, there's a lot of them, but this is one of them. And I'm a little more curious about, how tidy is DeBreeze? I had him 11th because of the ding and because of it's all Drew Brees the whole time. And I don't know what that transition is going to be like, because I will say as much as it's like, Hey, Drew Brees is hurt and you're still eight and one. I also still think that's a little different than like, okay, well, here's a quarterback who I don't know what he's going to do like the whole year, right? That that is a thing. And so I, I get it. I get what you're, what you're saying, Ellis, but like, he's just what I, I would have, if I was the owner, I, I wouldn't go this way. So far, according to Doug, I got two rough riders on my team, Andy Reid and Sean Payton, just a lot of off-the-field baggage that Doug doesn't mess with. I mean, I care about character. <laughs> Clearly, you don't, Ellis. That's fine. We're just different people. I can't <laughs> believe there's any owner in the NFL who wouldn't hire Sean Payton. You, you really think people wouldn't? I'm not saying they wouldn't hire him, but I'd hire 10 guys ahead of him. 11th. I just want to say credit to Ellis for giving a shout-out to Marvin Lewis. And also, let's give a shout out to Jim Caldwell. We're going to talk about guys that have been in bad organizations and made them competent. Shout out to those guys, because there's some coaches we're not going to draft here who probably shouldn't be employed over uh, at least one of those guys. Okay, so we are up to Scott now at number four in the second round. There is one guy left on uh, the rankings here who has been in the top seven in each of the last two seasons on this Edge Sports list and it's the guy I mentioned earlier who was this season's coach of the year it's Matt LaFleur back-to-back conference championships 26 and 6 over the last two seasons I'll take him here so I think this Matt LaFleur pick is the ultimate example of what is quarterback success and what is the head coach I think this guy runs a smart offense I think his philosophies are really grounded and futuristic and forward-thinking but I worry about his understanding of the defensive side of the football uh, it seems he's just let guys, well, really, uh, Petten just go out there and lose them playoff games, whether it was 
San Francisco running all over them or uh, this year, Kevin King getting bombed on right before half those like, you want to talk about you allowed it to happen when Doug talks about Reed or bounty gate LaFleur, you're letting your defense get shredded because you aren't spending enough time in those defensive meetings and just letting a guy like Penton be in there and do what he wants. So I don't think he has a holistic sense of the job yet, but that's where the age comes in. That's where the experience comes in. I would bet on the floor being a very successful head coach for the rest of his career. But I think Aaron Rodgers has elevated his wins above replacement to a, a level that if Rodgers wasn't there, this would be a, he's not as much as a problem solver and a holistic coach as his record suggests. Does Aaron Rodgers hate him? I think Aaron Rodgers hates a lot of people. Aaron Rodgers he hates is tough everybody. To he's, he's really <laughs> annoying. Like he just come out and say what you want to say. He just, I don't it's know. A it's I'm, a beautiful I'm done mystery. with Aaron Rodgers. It's a beautiful passive, mystery, though, Scott. Passive aggressive Jeopardy joke. Yeah, just. <laughs> I'm out I mean, on that Lafleur. I, I have no interest. I think this is all Aaron Rodgers, and uh, and Tennessee tried to hire Ryan Day the Ohio state coach to be their offensive coordinator and Ohio state gave Ryan day a raise and kept him. And when they couldn't get Ryan day, they got Matt LaFleur and he was our offensive coordinator for one year. And they were like, Hey, the Tennessee's great. You want to coach the Packers? And he was like, okay, I'll coach you. I'll coach the Packers. Cool. Aaron Rodgers, He seems good. I'll do it. And I just, as crazy as this is to say, I just think a lot of coaches could have gone to green Bay with that quarterback in that division with that schedule. He's gone 13 and three, both years. And I'm telling him I'd take him 18th. I think a lot of guys could have done a version of that and they've never gone any further than you thought they should go. Right. I mean, like they, they won one playoff game and then tanked both years. I just, I just, I think other young coaches have shown me more by doing more things that I feel is about them rather than just hopping on the back of a passive aggressive quarterback and being like, could you throw 45 touchdowns this year? That'd be cool. All right. 13 and three, maybe that's unfair, but. Not like it's not like they went thirteen and three for five years before he showed up. They had losing records before he showed up. Losing records, they were pretty good for quite a while, right? But really, also the other coach sucked too. Really, those Rogers, those years, Rogers broke his collarbone. I mean, that's just that's a product of Mike McCarthy's stoic and simple offenses, and then lo- losing your quarterback. I actually, I don't want to. We'll see if someone drafts Mike McCarthy. I'll save it. I'm guessing Ellis is not going to draft Michael oh Price. <laughs> the one thing we definitely got right here is Kevin Stefanski went ahead of, of Matt LaFleur. So we, we certainly got that one right. There's, I'm telling you, the guys we still have on the board here, Mary Kay, there are so many different ways you can go, and there are still some really, really mm-hmm. good coaches, including one guy that I think we're getting into straight disrespect territory if he doesn't go soon. Well, I'm probably going to disrespect him, Dan, and I'm sorry about that because uh, I'm, I'm going with a, a, young, a younger coach here. And I had a tier of those young up-and-coming coaches that are really putting their stamp on the NFL. Uh, it, it's a group, and we all know, you know who's included in this, including Matt LaFleur. I think he's in that group. Uh, but there's just one out of this group that I really, really like a lot. Uh, I like the way he – I like his background. I like what he's done with his team so far Uh, as a head coach. I like where he's going. If I were going to be hiring a coach, he is somebody that I would be really excited about bringing into my organization and, and putting him in charge of my football team. He's assembled a really nice staff. uh, And I think he's done a lot 
with what he's had to work with. A anybody want to take a stab of where I'm going with here, who I'm picking here? Is it Flores? No, but he he's definitely somebody that I like a lot as I, well. I had another guess too, but I won't. I won't yeah, know. we'll guess wrong. Just go ahead. Go ahead, Doug. Kyle Shanahan. You know, Kyle's sort of in this group too. I'm putting Sean McDermott here. I really like Sean McDermott. Now, when you talk about a quarterback, he's working with a quarterback that half the free world thought was going to suck in the NFL, right? He's not working with Aaron Rodgers. He's not working with Tom Brady. He's not working with Russell Wilson. He had to try to get a staff in there that could turn a raw quarterback that some people thought couldn't hit the side of a barn and turn him into something. And last year he was in the conversation for MVP at one point. So I think he's done a tremendous job with that. He's surrounded himself with, with a really good staff. I really like Brian Dable. I really like a lot of the guys that he has. He's got that defensive background so he can understand both sides of the ball. He's gone 40 and 29 so far. He's got three playoff berths, one AFC East championship, but I think went three 13 and three this year. I think, the arrow is pointing up for Sean McDermott. I just really like the guy a lot. I also right. had him 10th. I agree. Yeah. So this gets into a, a fun part of the conversation when we're talking about the, these head coaches and how they transition from year to year. Sean McDermott flirted with my tier of new school and my next tier, which is one-sided team builders, because you can't dispute what he's done in Buffalo. He's building something pretty sustainable right coordinators you respect interior offensive linemen a philosophy you can get behind but what happens when he loses brian dable dable's a guy who probably is if josh allen keeps ascending and this offense keeps getting better will have an opportunity to be head coach in this league and that becomes the issue when you are a defensive head coach you continue to change your offensive coordinator and that be, could become problematic. We're about to see you guys, listeners, and everyone on this panel know how I feel about the Tennessee Titans and Mike Vrabel, how that team is going to regress this year, largely because of Arthur Smith leading, leaving their offensive coordinator. So I'm knocking, in a way, Sean McVay for something that hasn't happened yet, which is probably unfair. But for me, I don't, I can't separate what is the, a Brian Dable success and how much of that is influenced by Sean McDermott. That's a wait and see type of thing, but that's something we run into when you start pegging these defensive minded head coaches that when the most important position on the team is quarterback and you're not all that hands-on with them, you might see some turbulent times throughout your tenure there as your offensive coordinator keeps leaving for head coaching jobs. I understand what you're saying there, Ellis, but really good head coaches, one of the, the hallmarks of a good head coach is the ability to assemble and develop a staff so that you know you're going to be good. You know your staff is going to be good. And just like I watched Bill Belichick do this all these years, you've just got the next guy ready to step yeah. right up in there. And there is no way in heck that you're going to let Brian Dable walk out the door because you know he's been interviewing for head coaching jobs for the last two years, maybe more probably more. And you know, he's going to be gone. So there's no way that Sean McDermott's just going to sit there and just get caught with, you know, red handed with nothing uh, to do and nobody to coach Josh Allen. So he's got guys either on his short list or on his staff that will be ready to do that. And I just don't have any worry about that whatsoever. Yeah. And I understand there's contingency plans and I completely agree, Mary Kay, that 
you you are always forward thinking the way that all right we're going to lose some of these coaches but something I didn't get to say when we discussed the Sam Darnold situation his trade to Carolina I think of that trade and why Carolina is so urgently trying to improve their quarterback position is because they know they're going to lose Joe Brady very soon like this might be their one year to have a, a really high octane offense until they have to replace him so just because you have someone ready doesn't mean they're just as good or you won't regress slightly again we're talking things we can't predict but I agree. Sean McDermott will have an offensive coordinator ready. I just haven't seen him flip coordinators yet because he's in this new school age. You mean when Zach Taylor stinks this year and they fire him and the Bengals hire Joe Brady to coach Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase? You mean we've that? Been, we've been on that, Doug. I agree with everything else just said. If I was an owner, I think I'd lean offensive head coach because of all these reasons. And my top 10, seven of my top 10 are defensive guys. Let's take a break. We've got two rounds in the books and we will do our next two rounds right after this. Lightning rounds, I hope. All right, back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We are drafting coaches, and we are on to the third round. I've got the number one pick, and I am so torn on what to do here because there are some young guys that I really want to take, but I've got to say we have to say this guy's name soon because, look, the point of this whole thing is you're drafting a coach. You've got a team ready to win, right? And you're you're picking a coach to coach that team and win. And to me – I picked an old guy, I picked a young guy, and now I'm going to pick another old guy. I'm taking Bruce Arians. All Bruce Arians has done is win. When he was the interim in Indianapolis, he won. When he was with Arizona, he won. He comes to Tampa. That's a tough situation. you got Tom Brady coming in. You've got to adjust your offense. I mean, this is the Bruce Arians vertical downfield offense, and he's got Tom Brady coming. And Ellis, we've talked about this, the bye week and the adjustments that the Bucks made. He won a Super Bowl in Tampa. And yes, he had Tom Brady. But he also, when we talk about staffs, you look at that Tampa staff, I think you've got two potential head coaches on that staff, Todd Bowles. I don't think we should hold what happened to get within the Jets against him at this point, and possibly Byron Leftwich as well. He hires a diverse staff. I think Bruce Arians is my guy here. There are other younger guys I could go with. Kyle Shanahan is still on the board. That's the guy I'm passing up here. So maybe that's my mistake. I'll admit to that. But I just think the fact that we haven't talked about Bruce Arians yet, I I think we have to. I think he belongs this high. I mean, he probably belongs higher on this list, to be honest. But he definitely belongs in this spot. He's ranked 29th and 30th the last two seasons in critical calls that uh, impact the Buccaneers' win probability. Just throwing that out there. How'd they do in the Super Bowl? They did great. Okay, <laughs> let's stop with the, oh, he had such a hard time working in the greatest quarterback of all time to his team. What was he going to do? All he did was say, hey, greatest quarterback of all time, get your drunk friend who plays tight end, and you guys can do whatever <laughs> you want to do. I don't care. And they went and won the Super Bowl and had a boat party. He's made. He's been a head coach seven full years. He's made the playoffs three times. I'm not interested. Like if I'm putting my, my franchise oh. in this guy's hands. All he did was let Tom Brady run the show. And he sat back in a lawn chair with a Mai Tai and said, I'll meet you at the Super Bowl. Uh, not, not interested. Seems like a swell fella. Not interested. I feel like Doug had that locked and loaded from like <laughs> minute one of this podcast. Doug did not have Bruce Arians on the, on the board. It sounds like. You know what, Dan, I'm more with you, but you know, I know Bruce Arians very well. Uh, I like the way that he works with quarterbacks. It's not easy to work with Tom Brady. I think you had to do more than just say, 
go have at it. I think those guys needed to kind of figure out how they were going to work together. Uh, you know, he's got a, a, a decent overall record in the NFL, 76, 47, and one. I don't think he gets respect because his personality is a little bit different. He can be a little bit abrasive and he, he just doesn't seem, you know, like it, people don't necessarily take him seriously, but I think he should be taken seriously. He's a two-time NFL coach of the year. I think that counts for something. I, I think this is a perfectly fine place for Bruce Arians. Yeah, I got to push back a little bit to uh, coach of the year, like Mary Kay said, in Indy with a young Andrew Luck. I believe that was just his second year taking over. Was it Chuck Pagano that was diagnosed with cancer? So it was, that, that was a while ago. Yeah, I think ago. that was Luck's rookie year, actually. Was that his rookie year? Yeah. So to win coach of the year under those circumstances, impressive. And then in Arizona, getting the best out of the last years of Kurt Warner and then doing it again with Tom Brady. I think that trifecta there makes him a guy who goes here even a little higher. Well, I've even got, I've got it even better. It was Carson Palmer. In Arizona. Oh yeah, I said Kerwin. Yeah, Carson Palmer. Yeah, I think yeah. I think you meant to say Carson Palmer. Yep. But, yep. I mean, but yeah, I mean Palmer was kind of done, and they brought him in and put him in a good. I just think Bruce Arians is a good coach, and I think part of being a good coach is understanding that is putting guys in place, and maybe Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich should deserve as much credit as Bruce Arians for for winning that Super Bowl. But I I do think that matters. All right, let's move on. Doug, you're up. I obviously didn't take your guy. So who have you got here? No, I almost was hoping you would take a guy because there's two guys I like. There's a guy that like I want on my coach team and that I'm tempted to take, but I have one other guy higher and I wanted this to be a good list. So I'll take the guy I have higher. I'll take Mike Vrabel. I think he's a good overall coach. I think the thing that Ellis said about, you know, he's losing his offensive coordinator. We'll see. I think I would, I think he could, I think he runs a program, right? Like I think, you know, builder, all that kind of stuff. Guys believe in him. Uh, I would believe in him as an owner. I had him eighth on my list, so I'll take him here at 11. You had Vrabel higher than Sean Payton? Yep. All right. Because Mike Vrabel had a, a failed quarterback that they had to figure it out, and they figured it out, and they took a second-round running back and built an offense around him and brought in a veteran quarterback and figured out a defense and, like, overachieved and got to an AFC championship game, right? So, like, and now he's still building his resume. But, again, like, he, he's had to sort of piece this together. In a, in a lot of ways. And again, as opposed to the tied to a quarterback guy. So yeah, I did. And, and let's give him credit. I just talked about Bruce Arians and his staff. He found, he, you know, he empowered Arthur Smith, who is now a head coach. I mean, Vrabel's already got a little bit of a coaching tree growing. So, you know, let's give him credit for, you know, kind of empowering guys like that and giving a guy like Arthur Smith his opportunity. And now he's coaching the Falcons. I love, I really like Mike Vrabel a lot. I love his personality. I love the way he coaches. I was, I was surprised they let the defense kind of fall by the wayside this year. I was a little bit surprised about that. I mean, this was a team that really could have gone far in the playoffs and the defense was just horrible. Uh, so he needs to pick that up a notch. But if I were hiring, if I were sitting across the table from him, he is somebody that would probably blow my socks off in an interview. And I, I really like him a lot. All right, so we're up to Ellis now. We've taken back-to-back guys that have sliding doors moments with the Browns in recent years. Ellis, who are you taking? Maybe there's another guy you're going to take that has a sliding doors moment with the Browns here Uh in this spot. The third pick in the third round. 100% no-brainer. I'm shocked he's still on the board, as I said, with Sean Payton. I think my roster is just disgusting right now. Offensive brilliance to be a fly on on the wall. If these three got in a room, would be ridiculous. So let's add Kyle Shanahan to my already brilliant list of Andy Reid, 
and Sean Payton. I'll really just let you guys talk because I'm curious when Kyle Shanahan was here as you guys covering the team, was it clear that he was going to be one of these next guys, his career record 31 and 36, which I think is interesting. You know, that is a 46% winning percentage lower than guys like McDermott, Mike Zimmer, Ron Rivera, the list goes on. So the winning percentage isn't there, but clearly wherever Shanahan's gone, people have just seen something in him. So I guess Mary Kay, like, what'd you see? Was it pretty obvious? It was really obvious. It was really, really obvious. And it was really sad to have to see him walk out the door because of a very, very dysfunctional situation. You could see what he was all about. You could see what he was able to do with a Brian Hoyer. Uh, You could see where he was going. You knew that he was going to run the Mike Shanahan, obviously. Very successful, successful offense. You just, he had success written all over him. I like the person. I like the coach. I, I think 100% the arrow is pointing up for him. You know, he, he's, he's going to win Super Bowls, I believe. And definitely he would be on my short list of coaches to hire in the NFL. I don't disagree with this. I, you're picking him 13th. I had him 12th. Ellis, do you know how many years of a winning record he has as a head coach? Yeah, I mean, his 31 and 36 record would assume one. One. Yeah. So he's been a head coach for four years. He's had a winning record once. So I do think his hype, because everybody loves the young offensive mind and he's a football name. I do think his hype at times can get bigger than the actual deal. But I think in this round, I thought maybe he would go in the top 10. And then I would have been like, ah, I think we're overestimating what this guy has proven so far. Because it's not like he just started. It's four years in. And I know they had terrible injury luck last year. So I think this is a very reasonable spot. It's where I would have taken him. And I'm glad we didn't take him earlier. That's only because I didn't have a spot to take him in the top 10. <laughs> like other guys. I, I took Bill and, and Sean. So, but I, but I probably would have taken him in the top 10. I definitely would have taken him in the top 10 over a couple of guys here. Scott, who do you have here with the fourth pick? I will take Frank Reich. He was fourth on uh, the Edge Sports rankings. He was first overall in making critical calls last season. Got the best out of Carson Wentz. He'll have to do it again, but he's had success there. I like, I like this pick. Frank Reich was a guy that I had in this range, I think. I, I actually have him. It's funny. I have him on my up-and-comers list, but he's 59 years old. But you know, look, accidentally ended up in Indianapolis and they've got a pretty good one. I really like him. Yeah. I would have had him higher, but I can't credit him yet for winning 12 games and placing a, I love Carson Wentz poster behind Doug on his wall. There, I can't credit him for that yet, even though it's going to happen. I feel bad for Frank Reich that Carson Wentz is going to destroy his career. It kind of got him where he is today though. Right. In a way. That's, That's why he's a head coach, right? Circle of life. <laughs> oh, the poster bet. It's the story that's going to be going all year long. All right, Mary Kay, you're up. All right. So once again, criteria that I'm using right now is I'm getting ready to field a football team and I want to go out and do the best we can this year. And I'm going to hire the best guy that I can absolutely find uh, to run my team, to assemble a staff, to deal with players and to take this team to where I want it to go as soon as possible. Therefore, I'm taking Brian Flores here. I really like Brian Flores. I just really like the guy a lot in terms of his, the way that his mind works. I love the way that he 
that he came from the Bill Belichick system. And I think he learned so much, obviously, uh, from being there throughout those years. He didn't have a great situation last year, and he damn near took that team to the playoffs, right? I mean, it was, I mean, did anybody think before the season started, like, oh, got to worry about the Dolphins? But he had a hell of a year, went 10 and six, almost made the playoffs. And who knows if those Pittsburgh Steelers had not rested all their starters in the season finale against Cleveland Browns, Brian Flores might have been in the playoffs. And I think he also deserved some consideration or would have, he would have gotten tremendous consideration uh, for NFL coach of the year. If that had happened, I had him ninth. He's the guy I almost took ahead of Rabel. I think he's a top 10 coach. He's overachieved every bit. I agree with everything that you say, Mary Kay. And when they get another piece or two in Miami, which they are going to get, I think they're going to be good for a long time because I like that guy running the show. And going back to those assistants, he's got to find the right guy to put with Tua. And I don't think they had that guy this year. They've got to find the right coordinator, make sure they have the right system around Tua because it's, it's obvious right now that that's who they view as their guy moving forward. Yeah, Dan, real quick. That's my exact point. He's been there two, two three years, has had two offensive coordinators, Chad O'Shea now in Cleveland and then Chan Gailey. It just, I, it, it, it keeps happening. And I don't know if it's because they, well, in both these cases, they were not promoted. So that's, that's the mark. Like he has not been able to find that guy to your point, Dan. But I, I still really like him here. He's a guy I had up my list as well. Okay, so we are up to, I guess I'm up again, huh? All right. So here we go at number four, and this is where it gets complicated because, again, there's some veterans I really like. There are a couple young guys I like. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach down and grab an unknown here. I'm going to go into my young unknowns list. So we took Kevin Stefanski number four, right? We all agree Kevin Stefanski is a pretty good coach that the Browns process and hiring a coach was, was pretty good. I'm going to gamble a little bit and roll the dice on the guy that was the other finalist for that job that the Browns identified as a guy that could have come in here and done the job. And I'm going to take Robert Sala. I'm not saying he's like whatever ranking we're giving him. He's this best coach in the NFL. Cause we just don't know but I think he's going to be a good coach and maybe that situation chews him up and spits him out. But I just want to take a guy that I don't know a whole lot about, but I think could end up being a really good coach. And so I'm going to take Salah here and I'm going to bank a little bit on the Browns process, identifying him as a guy that was a finalist here. And I'm going to take him. Well, Dan, I mean, that's a good pick. I really, really liked Robert Salah a lot. I studied him extensively throughout the, uh, the coaching search and uh, you know, if they, if the Browns had hired him, I think that would have been a great, great pick for him. I think the Jets made uh, a phenomenal coaching hire. And I think that once again, I think he's going to have the ability uh, to adjust, to adapt to adversity and to hire a good coaching staff. I think he hired a good offensive coordinator and I just think he's a leader of men and I like the character. And once again, he would definitely be on my short list. And I, I think that I would have had a hard time not hiring him if, if I were conducting the coaching search. Am I reaching here? Should I have taken somebody who's established? There's three like- veteran guys. There's three veteran guys on the list who are, have made the playoffs like multiple times, have been around the block. I would argue we're like, we're like a Robert Sala back in their day when they got their first job. They were hot young coordinators at one point, and then they got a job, and then they – Made the playoffs a bunch of times. So I had I had, I had him 20th. I think it's in range. 
but there are really three veterans that I'm curious how everybody would rank that I would have higher than him. I probably won't have an opportunity to do this ever again. So let the record show that I am <laughs> pessimistic of the Robert Sala hire. I worry about what he brings to a football team X's and O's wise that San Francisco defense is loaded with talent. His philosophies from what I've studied seem rooted in letting his athletes line up and beat you. And that is not all that diverse. I think that's how football regresses at times. I think he's a motivator. I think he's a culture builder, uh, a guy to what Mary Kay said, I have confidence can find the right people around him. But if we're just isolating him as a head coach, I think there's other guys on this list that bring more, but there's, you know, a hundred different routes to being a very successful head coach. Sala won't take the same route as Stefanski or Shanahan or McVay, but he could be a Pete Carroll type, the motivator, and then have people around him. And all of a sudden you're winning a lot of games for a long time. So I, I like the culture part of it. And I'm not saying that like Ron Rivera is not a good culture builder or some of these guys I passed on are not good culture builders. But I think one of the things, again, going back to that Browns finalist thing is I really think they prioritized culture. Like Kevin Stefanski was not just this great offensive mind bringing a great system. I think they really wanted to focus on, on culture. And I think Sala being a finalist for that job, it's a little weird pointing at the Browns process as a reason to maybe bet, maybe bet on a guy, but we saw that process bear out pretty well for him with Stefanski and Sala was certainly one of the guys on that list. Okay, let's move on. Doug, who do you have? So there's three guys again that I, I bunched together here. This guy was maybe the most qualified assistant coach in the league before he finally got his head coaching shot. He was a defensive coordinator for 15 years before he finally got it in seven years as a head coach. He's never been worse than seven and nine. He's made the playoffs three out of seven years. And I think he's had bad luck at quarterback. And if he got a guy, I think he could be really good. And I think he's underrated. And then we'll let Ellis talk about him because I'm taking Mike Zimmer. All right, I'll go. Mike Zimmer is one hell of a football coach. A guy, like Doug said, who needed time to prove himself, was looked over time and time again in the interview process and finally landed a spot. His Minnesota defenses have been fierce, except for this past season. I have no issue with the pick here, and I think Zimmer's a guy who, if it doesn't end well for him in Minnesota this upcoming year or two, like anything, these things come to an end. If given another shot, he's really good at building something up, right? My issues with Zimmer come with his volatility at the offensive coordinator spot, which again has been a theme that I teased with all these defensive-minded head coaches. They've had five offensive coordinators in seven years, a new one the past four seasons. This next year, it'll be, I think it's Cliff Kubiak or Clint Kubiak, Kubiak's son. Clint, yep. So Gary Kubiak's son. Uh, before that, it, of course, Kevin Safansky, Pat Shermer had a run there, Norv Turno, and John Filippo. And these guys have left in the middle of the season. They've had issues. And that might just be how it works for defensive-minded head coaches, that offensive coordinator spot stays volatile. But I've seen what it does to teams as a whole. And you tend to dip and valley with that type of change. But that first four years when there was some stability with Norv Turner – is some of the best Vikings years that the franchise has had. So it's about how you build, not always how you finish. And for that, Zimmer deserves to be here. Seems like he meddles a little bit on offense. 
right? I mean, didn't Filippo essentially get fired because he, was, he wasn't running the ball enough and, and Stefanski mm-hmm. takes over. But the thing I like about Zimmer is we talk about how great this Browns coaching staff is, right? All the time, these guys that Stefanski has hired and he kind of pillaged Minnesota a little bit for a few of these guys. And Zimmer has really shown this ability. He'll bring in young guys or, I mean, Stefanski is a guy he kept. Stefanski was already there. He'll bring in guys and he seems like a guy who can develop young coaches. And he seems like a guy. And the other thing I like about Zimmer too is Rick Spielman. This stood out to me at the combine a few years ago. Rick Spielman will stand at the podium and just preach about analytics. And Mike Zimmer is kind of not a big analytics guy, but he's also sort of adapted. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think there's a very compelling case for Mike Zimmer. I, I, he, he's in that grouping I had with Ron Rivera, you know, Pete Carroll, Mike Tomlin, guys who are seem to just be really good coaches, even if I don't always agree with their decision-making. Okay, so we're up to Scott now with his final pick. It is me? No, Ellis. Oh, Ellis, I'm sorry. Ellis. I'm sorry, yeah. I just assumed the Minnesota guy was Ellis's pick. Right. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Sorry for throwing that off. Um, we can be quick with this one. I'm taking Ron Rivera. And it's for everything Dan just laid out. I'm not sure where the ceiling is. This is a floor pick. If you're a team like, I don't know, the Washington football team that has a lot of issues, both on the field and in your building, you bring in Ron Rivera. It's cleaned up in the matter of a couple months. And by the time the season's over, all of a sudden you've got a division win and you look like a professional franchise. That's what he does. He brings stability, almost a, a military style program builder but with the humanity of you know being a leader in women in sports uh, a guy that is at the forefront of these very important conversations not just women minority coaches too the hispanic coaches he has in that building and on his uh, in the front office he's a complete leader in that sense again i think the on the field stuff has a ceiling it is capped but if you're talking about a guy who can bring you from the depths of what you can hit in the NFL, the lows of lows, that's Washington. And he turned the team around in half a year. Rivera and Zimmer was a coin flip to me. Yeah. And I would could have gone either way. Ellis took my guy, man. I was all ready. I was all ready. Talk about mm-hmm. adversity and getting, you know, getting through last season. Um, I'm going to go back to my list here and top ranked guy who has not been selected, Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, he was also in the top 15 last season. I mean, he's one of those young coaches. I guess you're projecting a little bit with him. You figure his team is going to get a little better next season. Got a big addition in J.J. Uh, Watt. So, I don't know. This is my last pick. So, we're going to go with another young guy. Yeah, Scott, I, I like this pick. I thought about he was one of the guys that I would have picked uh, with our final pick in this top 20 NFL coaches draft. Uh, he was definitely on the list. Uh, he, he's innovative. Uh, you know, he, he brings something new to the league. I, I think he's going to be good. I think he's learned a lot. I'm an- very anxious to see what he does over the next couple of years. And I think this is a good pick. I think he belongs in the top 20. You know, the, the only thing that I don't like about Cliff Kingsbury is that he sucks at being a head coach. Other than that, I think he's fine. He's an offensive coordinator. And I think he's going to get fired in Arizona after this year because they're loading up. They went eight and eight last year. They should have been better than eight and eight. They won five games his first year. He's not qualified to be a head coach. Arizona got swept up in the young offensive guru thing. Guy got whacked by Texas Tech, was going to be the USC offensive coordinator. And Arizona was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why don't make him NFL head coach? He's young. He's white and he likes offense. Let's hire him. So, like, I'm 
I'm out. I think, I think they've underachieved. And just because you can drop a play doesn't mean you can lead a team. And I think if you're sitting in your big fancy chair next to your pool in your living room with your sunglasses on, uh, you're not my guy. I <laughs> love just that. jealous of his house. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say I completely agree with Doug up until the, the house tweet. I love that photo. <laughs> but y'all knew I would. Y'all knew I would. But his compound aside, I agree with Doug. I think he's a, a sexy, interesting first coach fired bet that people may not see coming. Zach Taylor may be the favorite, but I'd be curious to see where, where Cliff lands in there. I think he'll get another chance. This is probably a guy who, to Doug's point, wasn't quite ready. And then in his next opportunity, he'll flourish because he does everything we've laid out. But there are they're underachieving. It's that simple. All right, Mary Kay, bring us home. So, Scott, I'm actually glad that you did pick Cliff Kingsbury here because I had two guys uh, that I was ready to go with at number 20 overall. And I'm really excited to take this guy that I'm about to say. Uh, He wins everywhere he goes. He's dynamic. He's controversial. He's got a long history with Doug. (laughs) I am taking Urban Meyer at number 20. This is I a was, great place to end. I, Doug, yeah. please just talk. I'm, I'm fascinated by this. very curious if he would be on our list. I had him 16th, and he is a builder. He's a builder. He, he, he's like a CEO kind of guy. He's going to build an organization. I think there are questions about, like, running the offense, make it, you know, like the NF, he's never done that before. But if, if the coaches are good, and frankly, I don't even know who he hired. So I should know, and I don't. I think he has a chance. I think it could miss, right? There's a little bit of risk to this, Mary Kay. But like it, at this point in the draft, I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I think the, the only two guys, so I think Gruden was the other choice here. When you were describing it, I think some of what you said could fit Gruden or Urban Meyer. And, and Gruden's done, the, done it at this level, at least. But I think Urban does have upside. But I think he knows, like the idea of like, hey, like you're a college coach. Will that translate to the NFL? I think it will, because he just, he has a way of doing business. I think sort of like the offense, ingenuity, all that, like that's more of a question, but I think it's a good pick. Yeah, hiccups like not Google searching your strength and conditioning coach before you hire him. Just little hiccups like that. He has blind spots. He has to have people in the building who will tell him no. Because if they just let him do everything he wants to do, he's never done it. And he always thinks he's right. And so you have to have someone who he believes in who can tell him, Urban, you can't do it. You can't do it. And clearly, based on what you're talking about, Ellis, he didn't have that, that first go around with the Iowa strength coach. He either had it and ignored it, or there wasn't somebody in that building who could do it. Frankly, I'd do it. If he hired me, I'd do it. I'd tell him, Urban, what are you doing? You can't. That's crazy. I don't care if you know the guy. If You can't do this. He needs that. that. Now, what a lot of these guys, that applies to people who are in charge of a lot of things. It is a strength and a weakness. If he can put a little bit of a governor on it, that will be a strength for him. But if he goes too far, it could bring him down. So I think it's something to watch. Yeah, I just think just, you know, winners, a lot of times they win, you know, and they, they go to the next level and they win again. And I'm very curious to see how this turns out. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's fascinating. I think we've all wondered for how many ever years if he would end up here. I can't wait to see how it goes. And of course, he's uh, going to have the number one overall pick. He'll be with Trevor Lawrence. So lots of excitement. And I think we just had to finish our top 20 draft with Urban Meyer. All right. So here's the guys who didn't go. 
just so everybody has this list. Matt Rule did not go. Brandon Staley, Nick Sirianni, Dan Campbell. Nobody wanted Dan Campbell. Arthur Smith, Joe Judge, and Zach Taylor. I mean, to me, you can argue with maybe where we slotted guys, but I think when I look at the guys we left off, maybe you make a case for Matt Rule. Maybe you think Joe Judge is going to be good, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know that we left anyone off that has to be on here. I did actually, you know what? I'm sorry. I have a, another, there's more guys, David yeah. Colley, mm-hmm. Vic Fangio, yep. Mike McCarthy, Matt Nagy, and the big one, John Gruden. I yep. didn't scroll down all the way to the guys that I wasn't going to pick. I, th- I think Gruden probably makes a pretty strong top 20 case. I think a lot of people had doubts when he came back. I actually, you know, he has a way of doing business. It's, it's hasn't been a disaster with Las Vegas. And I think there's still a little upside there. The two guys that I would consider that didn't make it were Gruden and Rule, and the others, I think I think we made the right call. Did everybody else say where they had Stefanski ranked? I know Doug, you said seventh. I had seven. I had Stefanski again. I didn't have a direct big board. I had a list of up and comers, and I had him third on that list behind Flores and McDermott. I would have taken McVeigh, probably Shanahan before him, and probably Sean Payton as well. For young guys, I got McVeigh and Shanahan in front of them, and then Belichick, Reed, Peyton, Tomlin, Harbaugh. So what's that, eighth? Mary Kay, where'd you have him? I had him – well, I had a range. So I kind of had him around 11-ish, but 10 or 11, depending on how things went. So essentially, we all kind of already have him in that, that top 10 range, at least, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Pretty good place to start. That's pretty impressive for, for one year of work uh, as, as an NFL head coach. I mean, it does. It feels like I think there's about like 10 to 14 guys that you'd feel like, yeah, I feel good about hiring those guys. And he's clearly one of them. And then there's like another probably like six to eight that you're like, yeah, that'll work. And then there's like 10 guys in the league is like, I don't have any idea. I think that guy probably is bad at this. So, I mean, again, the idea that Stefanski, you know, you believe in him. It's how much, but there's nobody in the league who doesn't believe in Kevin Stefanski. All right, well, these are our coaching teams. I'm going to send this to our Football Insider subscribers and have them vote on who has the best group of coaches here. Uh, I ended up with Bill Belichick, Sean McVay, Bruce Arians, and Robert Sala. Just go ahead and click and vote for that one, everybody. Uh, Doug ended up John Harbaugh, Pete Carroll, Mike Vrabel, and Mike Zimmer, Ellis, Andy Reid, Sean Payton, Kyle Shanahan, and Ron Rivera, Scott, Kevin Stefanski, Matt LaFleur, Frank Reich, and Cliff Kingsbury. And Mary Kay ends up with Mike Tomlin, Sean McDermott, Brian Flores, and Urban Meyer. So that is our Friday roundtable for you. Of course, we do these every week, uh, five days a week. Make sure you're subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk pod to get our daily pods, this roundtable. And of course, got to watch the tape every week and check out Football Insider, Cleveland.com slash Browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page to get information on that and get signed up. So for all involved, Ellis, Scott, Doug, and Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.